Thank you. Hello, everybody. Again, just uh, my name is Dominic. Uh, very nice to see everybody. Love the turnout. Um, I got a chance to meet with Todd last week, and um, just thinking it was Todd getting to know me a little bit more, it ended up turning out to him asking me to do my testimony. And <laughs> at first, I was kind of reluctant. I'm uh, not really sure, not really the spotlight kind of guy, but he just told me to pray about it, and that's what I did. And so it was on my heart to do this. So um, to start with some background on myself, uh, I was raised in the Inland Empire in a town called Rialto. I was introduced to Christ at a young age, uh, so young that every time I, uh, so young that every time I sinned, I had asked to accept God again into my heart. I had an amazing upbringing as a child because of my parents. I was raised in the church, enrolled in a private Christian school from third grade to sixth, which allowed me to uh, learn about Christ on a daily basis. Uh, fast forward to high school is when I truly got exposed to the world. My parents had an on and off relationship until finally getting a divorce. The high school I went to was not known for its education. In fact, it was the opposite. I was exposed to gangs, alcohol, and drugs. But because of my upbringing and my passion for football, I was fortunate enough to not be involved with those things and graduate. It's when I got to college where I felt my relationship with God became weak. I received a full college scholarship to play football at a school in Nebraska and naturally felt on top of the world. I was a star player on the football team and felt untouchable and truly lived a worldly lifestyle. But God has his way to bring me back down to reality to let me know nothing is possible without him. Going into my senior year of college, I had a horrific car accident with three of my teammates, which rendered my car flipping over four times. But I was fortunate enough to still play football. Again, still feeling untouchable, but God had a plan for me to realize I wasn't. The second game of my senior season, I took a hit to the head that rendered me unconscious and caused me to have emergency brain surgery, which then ended my football career. This is when I truly understood what God was trying to tell me, which I understood from reading Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Thinking my career of football was over, God blessed me with an opportunity to play football again, allowing me to finish out my college career and pursue my dreams of playing professional football. Fast forward five years, I gave up football and became a manager for a clothing store called Buckle in Northern California. I met my now wife through a mutual friend via social media, which was the best thing that happened to me. After getting to know Stephanie, I understood how a strong Christian man was vital for her to have in a relationship, which pushed me to grow my relationship with God. Our relationship was not your typical Christian relationship. While dating, Stephanie became pregnant. This was another point where my relationship with God and the church became unstable. Because Stephanie became pregnant we were, while we were dating, I felt judged by my quote-unquote Christian friends and the church I was attending at that time. I felt as if what was said in the Bible was being used against me. God's words were being used as law rather than a teaching. At that point, I didn't separate God from religion. I combined the two and took my frustrations out on God and stopped attending church. Because of a new job I was offered, we moved from Northern California to PV. Stephanie wanted to find a church to attend, because of my, but because of my experience, I was internally trying to avoid finding a church. We attended a few different churches, but never really committed to one as none of them felt like home. 
It wasn't until a neighbor of ours told us about the River Church where Stephanie decided she wanted to give it a try, but again, internally, I didn't want to go. We ended up attending a service at the Malaga Cove Library where we were greeted immediately by Denise. She really tried to get to know us, but I had reserves thinking if her intentions were truly genuine. Next, we met James. I remember he had an awesome mullet going on and an even, an even better mustache. After that, I told myself I can give this church a try. We continued to attend the river. I knew I liked the people, but still didn't really feel like home. It wasn't until James did a sermon about how churches have hurt people so bad that it pushed so many away. I couldn't believe the raw, genuine emotion James had, and he actually apologized on behalf of all the churches and asked for forgiveness. I remember James saying he was, he was glad the sermon wasn't being taped because of the potential reaction it could get, but all I could think was, this is what so many need to hear. At that moment, I knew I was in the right place. Someone who had no idea of my past experience with the church was asking for forgiveness and genuinely meant it. This challenged me to do my part and make peace with God. I committed to myself to strengthen my relationship with Christ. Thankfully, soon after, Stephanie and I were invited to join a grounding group. I was excited because I knew this would be a great opportunity for Stephanie and I to truly work together to have God as the focal point in our marriage and in our family with raising our two young boys. Our grounded group is a true blessing. We have met amazing people and have been able to truly dive into the word. We have in-depth conversations about the sermon, but often get off topic to discuss our daily struggles and how God's word can help us through these struggles. Since our time in PV, so many things have happened. God has blessed me with a great career, with two amazing boys that I get to raise as God would want me to, my parents that though are divorced are friends and show their grandchildren so much love and grace, my wife who challenges me and makes me a better man every day, a church I look forward to attending because of the genuine kindness, but also a church that doesn't just paint a picture that if you love God and accept him, your life will be worry-free. But most of all, a God that never gave up on me. Through all my sins, he still loves me unconditionally. This by no means is a testimony that ends with saying everything is perfect. I still have my daily struggles of feeling broken in many ways. The difference is now I know I can trust God and ask for help with my daily struggles. I know he helps heal the broken. I'll leave you with my favorite Bible verse, Psalms 27.1, and my favorite quote. Both truly help me mend my relationship with Christ. Psalms 27.1, Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? And the quote comes from a poem titled, I Hate Religion But I Love Jesus by Spoken Word. I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Christ, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin, because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on him. Thank you. Wow, that is, thank you so much, Dominic. What a powerful story. And I promise I did not coach him to compliment my mullet, okay? That, I did not know what he was gonna say this morning. Oh man, Dominic, thank you so much. It is such a joy and honor to have you and Stephanie and your incredible family as part of this family. Um, speaking of family, my big brother in the Lord, Todd Windorf is gonna bring us a word this morning. So I'm gonna pray for Todd as he comes up to bring us um, this Easter Sunday sermon, man. Sponsored by Nike. Lord, that's a joke. 
That would be great, though. That's a joke, though. Lord, thank you so much, God, for family. Thank you for this family, Lord, the surrogate family called the River Church, Lord. And, and thank you for the churches all across the South Bay and all across Los Angeles and the world proclaiming your name and your resurrection. God, we are hungry this morning for reality, for truth, for a story that is not just bigger than us, but is true. And we love you. Be with Todd now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, James. Thank you. Dominic, amazing. Thank you so much. I didn't pay you enough because I got no mention. But uh, my wife made it in the story, and, uh, and so did James. And so that's why you know it's truly a real story. And I didn't pay Dominic to say all that. But it truly is um, a remarkable story of what God can do. Let's talk resurrection for a minute. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Here we are. We wait all year for it. This is an exciting, exciting day. We get to read the passage. The disciples, all of those around Jesus come to the tomb and discover for the first time that Jesus is not there. He has been resurrected and it changes everything. We have to focus on that for a minute. Many of us are here because we truly want Easter to be something just a little bit more than just a holiday. A lot of people all over our community, in the state, in the country, and the world celebrate Easter. Many just focus on the fact that it's just a holiday. I was at the L.A. Coliseum yesterday to watch a professional rugby game. My uh, co-teammate from uh, Cal Berkeley, we played rugby together. His son went on to play at Cal, and now he's a professional rugby player. And he was in town from Houston. And so we went over, uh, my brother and I drove down to sit with Rich and, and his wife and, and watch his son play rugby. And what I noticed on the field is there's an Easter bunny running up and down the field throwing eggs. And I'm thinking, it's got to be Easter because there's an Easter bunny on the field at a rugby game. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder what it would be like if there was a guy dressed up like Jesus running up and down the field throwing little wooden crosses and empty tombs out into the audience to remind them, no, it's not an Easter bunny story. It's a Jesus rose from the dead story. And that's why we celebrate Easter. And that's what Peter discovered. If you notice in our text this morning, as you heard it read, it was a beautiful reading. Thank you, Matthew and Erica. And I look around and see so many wonderful families and the McFarland family's growing. And, and I look over and see the Jackson, Shoemaker, Gordon family and and uh, the Murphys are here. Wonderful to see you guys. And the Knowles. And there's so many great families and large families. And Bill's back from sabbatical. Great. Awesome. We're glad you're back, Bill. And it's welcome to everybody that's here. And you're here because you want to celebrate Easter with us because you truly believe something else happened. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want to focus just a bit on what Peter actually did. And if you notice in the text, which is so fascinating, is that Mary and all the disciples, they go to be with Jesus. But they're going to prepare his body for his burial. 
and they're stunned. They're shocked. They can't believe this is happening. The disciples, they believe it's nonsense. He didn't really rise from the dead. They don't believe it. And yet it was Peter. What did Peter do in the text? He's the guy you want to focus on. He ran to the tomb. It says that he stooped down. It's, a, it's very specific in the original language. He stoops down, peers in to observe for himself what is going on. And all he sees is the linen. Jesus' body is gone. And at that moment, Jesus believes and everything changes, and it says that he, he's, he leaves marveling. That it really doesn't do justice to what emotionally is happening in Peter's life. He becomes a true believer because he sees an empty tomb and realizes Jesus, who was just crucified, is now alive, and that changes everything. New life begins now. And it's true for you and I, if we're willing to take a moment and stoop in and look and observe. And I want to do it through the eyes of Paul. By the way, Dominic, I'm telling you, that story would have been totally different without the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ in this. Don't, wouldn't you agree? All throughout his story, the difficulties, the hardships, the struggles, the accident, the disappointment of not being able to go into professional football, all the things that happened in his life. Yet God was in his life. The power of the resurrection changes our story. And in the midst of struggles and difficulties and disappointments, rewrites that story. And that's what we just heard this morning. I want to show you another passage. And Hopefully you have this. Um, I handed out these verses. This is um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I just want to point out what Paul says about the resurrection. So Peter looks in and believes. Well, Paul does too. And in this particular passage, this is Paul's testimony of how he came to Christ. The, what the resurrection means to him. So listen in as Paul describes his encounter with the risen Christ. Dear friends, let me give you clearly the heart of the gospel that I've preached to you, the good news that Jesus you have heartily received on which you stand. For it is through the revelation of the gospel that you are being saved if you fasten your life firmly to the message that I've taught you, unless you have believed in vain. For I have shared with you what I received, what is most importance. The Messiah died for our sins, fulfilling the prophecies of Scripture. He was buried in a tomb. He was raised from the dead three days later, as foretold in the Scriptures. Then he appeared to Peter, the rock, and to the twelve apostles. And he also appeared to more than 500 of his followers at the same time, most of whom are still alive as I write this. Though a few have passed away. Then he appeared to Jacob and all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared of me. Yes, I am the most insignificant of all the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I hunted down believers and persecuted God's church. But God's amazing grace 
has made me who I am today. And his grace for me was not fruitless. In fact, I worked harder than all the rest, yet not in my own strength, but God's for empowering grace poured out upon me. So that is what we all have taught you. And whether it was through me or someone else, you now believe in the gospel. What's, the, what's, what's, what's behind Paul's story? I'll tell you what's behind Paul's story. Paul lived a changed life because he peered into an empty tomb and saw that Jesus was resurrected. Jesus appeared to him and his life was changed. And what I discover in this passage is three things. And I just want to, just for just a few moments, talk about this changed life that Paul experienced because of the resurrection. And what Paul says in his own testimony is three things. It's a fresh start. It's believable. It's believable. And it's for everyone. And that's what Paul says about the resurrection. It's a fresh start. First of all, it's a fresh start. You know, if you look in psychology today and you ask the question, what would psychology today say about getting, everybody wants a fresh start. It would say three things. You need a new identity, you need a confidence boost, and you need a clean slate. You need three things in your life in order to have a fresh start. So buckle in, dig deep within yourself, find that new identity, and hang on. That's what psychology today would say, and you can have a fresh start in life. And yet what we discover in this text this morning is the Bible says something totally different about a fresh start. What Paul says is this fresh start is the fact that we are being saved because of the resurrection. Salvation comes because of the resurrection. Or you live a life of vanity. A futile existence. You believed in vain. So he compares and contrasts this idea that a fresh start is either salvation or a life of futility. Well, I want option three. I want, to, I want the third option. Well, there isn't any third option. Paul gets very philosophical with us for a minute and says, either you go through a fresh start experience, which is salvation, or you live a life of futility. A couple of us were playing golf a couple weeks ago. And we were about ready to tee off, and somebody drove in right, right before we started and said, hey, I'm your fourth. And we said, great, come on, join us. Young guy. Introduced himself, discovered that he is part of the ownership of a NFL football team, current NFL football team, and, and a pretty decent golfer. And so he joined us, and we played 18 holes of golf and heard all about his life and his life story and, and what it would be like to be part of a family that owns a team, an actual NFL football team, and, and we get to the end, and he needs to drive home. His car's in the shop, and he's, he's staying at a hotel in Hermosa Beach. I said, I'll take you home. Piled in the car, got his clubs in the car, and I kind of been hearing his story all day, and I said, you know, it really sounds like your life is set. I mean, you own one-twelfth of the NFL football team. I mean, you're kind of set for life, aren't you? He goes, yeah, I am. I said, but you really know that's not where life really exists. You know, don't you? 
that it's not about money. That life is not about money. Yeah, I really do know that. I know that. I could see it. I could see exhilaration, but I could also see a level of kind of almost um, disappointment with life in his eyes. Exhilarated, but also disappointed. And so we went a little deeper. So I shared my story, and I said, you know, even at the end of your life, you leave it all behind. Your dad did. He left the team to your family. He left it all behind. And one day, you're going to leave it all behind. And there's no greater time than to figure out how you want to live the rest of your life now before that comes. Because when that comes, it's going to drive your life. Unless, it, unless, of course, you learn how to drive it. And we talked about the end of life. And I said, you know, there's got to be more, don't you think? Yeah. I said, let me tell you a story. My son came home from high school. He, was a phys- he loved physics. It was his favorite class in, in high school. So he came home from this physics C class. And he says, Dad, I finally believe in God for myself. Wow, tell me, what happened? My instructor uses these laws of nature to describe physics and all of the things that happen and all these occurrences in nature happen because they follow certain laws that cannot be described. We cannot explain them. We can't figure them out scientifically. They just exist. They've always existed. It's the way things are, and you, those things didn't get produced. There's got to be something behind that, and I believe it's God. And I told my new friend in the car, I said, that's what happened in his life. And he goes, I love how you brought faith and science together. I said, you know, it's a fresh start for you. If you realize the fact that maybe God is getting your attention now, and instead of living a futile life, focused on other things, it's an opportunity of a restart, a fresh start. That's what salvation is. Because life doesn't end at the grave. And you know that. It's just too good. I mean, this is just too beautiful. The world is just so awesome the way it is and the way it's created and our lives and who wants to live 60 70 80 years and then boom it's all gone it disappears and you're you're nothing but a vapor as ecclesiastes says vanity of vanity all is vanity under the sun the sun rises the sun sets and the and the writer of ecclesiastes in chapter one says and life is the cyclical thing of life and death life and death and without god It doesn't mean anything because you exist and then you don't and everybody forgets you. Unless, of course, there is something called salvation and it comes in the resurrection. And that's what Paul's saying. Salvation is a rescue plan to give you a fresh start in life so that when you die, it's not the end, it's just the beginning. That's what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. He conquered the greatest thing that you and I fear, which is death. And in conquering death, he basically said, nothing, nothing's going to hold you back from living an eternal life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this passage, 
a little bit later in verse 51, he says, in a twinkling of an eye, in just a moment like that, when I return, I will restore your bodies. We get a new fresh start, which is we get a new perspective, a new heart, but we also get a new body. Let me tell you about those two things. First, the new heart. I had a heart attack many years ago. And here's my learning. Here's my bottom line learning on it. I didn't want to have one. So I laid there on the couch for an hour. I'm, I, I don't want to have this. I was obstinate. I wasn't going to call him. I finally reached out and texted my buddy Dean who lives up in Lake Arrowhead. I was by myself in the snow in a cabin up in Lake Arrowhead. I didn't want to have a heart attack. I didn't want to go to the hospital. I, didn't, I wanted to listen to records on my record player. I wanted to relax and have a great weekend. And so I decided it wasn't happening. But something else was saying it was happening. My heart was failing. It was dying. And I sat there arguing with myself for an hour before I finally called Dean and said, you need to come now. I can't solve this on my own. And a lot of us live our lives just like that. We think we can solve the problem. I'm going to get through life. I don't need God. I don't need a fresh start. I don't need salvation. And the resurrected Jesus is saying, I've resurrected from the dead. I have covered your sins. Salvation is, means to rescue, to rescue you. And what I realized in that moment is that I needed to become a patient before I could get well. And if I sat there in my obstinance, in my, my arrogance, I would have died. And so many people just won't take a closer look and realize God is offering us a fresh start in Jesus. He conquered death, and in the process, he forgave us our sins, it says. He cleared us of all that was in our way. He gave us a new heart. But then in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he gives us a new body. He restores all of you, not just part of you. This is not a spiritual exercise. This is you as a person become a new person for all of eternity, body and soul. Everything within you, your whole body, everything counts. And it all goes on for the rest of eternity. And sometimes we miss that. We, we make it a spiritual matter and we, we become very platonic in our thinking and we think somehow that we're going to separate from our bodies and we're going to live somewhere else in this spiritual realm when Jesus is standing there in phys his physical body he has been raised from the dead to say this is what is going to happen to you and in the new world the new creation you are going to exist for eternity in your body with a new soul and it's going to be beautiful and everything that happens in your life counts because you move it forward it goes with you does that make sense? It, that's why new life begins now. Everything matters. Every decision you make, everything that you encounter, all the hardships, all the difficulties. I was sitting at this rugby game between Rich, my fraternity brother, my teammate, and his wife. 
And then my brother was over here, and Rich is like yelling at the refs, because he's been playing rugby for 40 years. So he knows he's a ref, and he's been playing on the old blues, and, and so he's a really good player. And, he's, and, and then his wife's on the other side going, I sure wish they'd put my son in. My son, why is my son not playing? Why isn't he in? Why isn't he in? He's a better player. He's a better scrum half. And, and that conversation was going on, and Rich is yelling at the ref, and, and it was hilarious. And uh, I hadn't seen him in 20 years, so this was great catching up. And, and, I, and, I, I, and Nola, Nola finally says, I pray for him. I send him verses. And I said, Nola? She, she asked me. She goes, what do you think I should do? And I said, here's my opinion. It was amazing. She asked me. I said, I'll be honest with you. This could be the best training experience for him in life. He's on a professional rugby team. He's a good-looking kid. He's at the height of his career, and yet he's not in playing. He's not on the field. He's not playing, but he's on the team. And he is learning things now that will make him a better person long run. And if all you care about is happiness, yeah, then he needs to be playing. But if you care more about his long run game of being a better person, this is the best training ground in the world. And what he's going through right now is going to make him a better person. And that's what the resurrection does. It makes you a better person. And everything that happens in your life, you're not in the game right now. You've been sidelined. You've been given a bad hand. Something's happened in your life. And we're looking at it going, well, I just want to get rid of that. And I just want to focus on the spiritual life. Of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, it's the whole package. You get a whole new body in the future, and this body goes with you, and all the decisions, you don't change in terms of who you are as a person. Spiritually, you get to live on in eternity. It's a beautiful picture of a fresh start with God. And let me just end this morning with two other ideas. Fresh start is op- offered to us And second of all, it's believable. Look in our text. Look what it says. Four times it says that he appeared. Jesus appears. Why does Jesus keep appearing? And for 40 days, Jesus just keeps showing up. And he appears before a hundred, before the disciples, individuals, all along this 40-day period of time. Jesus just keeps on appearing. Why? If you ask Lee Strobel, who wrote the book Case for Christ, I used to work with Lee out in Chicago. He was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune and he set out to disprove that Jesus was really the Christ that he resurrected he set out to disprove it total intellectual he discovered the exact opposite and he could not get around this one idea corroboration corroboration means that when you try to make a case for something if you have eyewitness accounts you can actually prove that it happened. The eyewitnesses prove that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And I think that's important because it, it's got to be believable. There needs to be a rational component to your faith or your faith won't endure. If your faith is just simply based on, well, I believe, but I don't know why I believe. It's not going to last. Your faith has to believe that it really happened. And as we look at this account, 
Jesus appears over and over and over. And then in verse 11 it says, and so that you will also believe. And belief is a verb. It means to you need to believe. Not, not just believe the evidence and say, yeah, that's great. That I saw it. That Sure enough, I, I agree with you. Jesus was risen from the dead. But you've got to believe it. You've got to put your faith and trust in it. You personally have to make that decision. Well, I can't believe it. Shisuko Endo wrote an amazing book called Silence, the story of the uh, Christian missionaries to Japan in the 17th century. And Endo wrote these words, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you will be focused or forced to believe that something hit the disciples that was every bit amazing. In other words, if you want to disclaim the resurrection, if you want to say it didn't happen, you're going to have to come up with something equally amazing as the resurrection to disbelieve it. That's pretty amazing. But I want to point something out to you. Paul did not want to believe. Paul wasn't like, I got to believe, I got to believe, I want to believe, I want to believe. Paul did not want to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, he worked to the opposite. He, he was trying to keep the message down. He so didn't believe it that he lived his whole life to push the message of the resurrection of Jesus down. He didn't want to believe it. But Jesus appeared to him. And when Jesus appeared to him, he changed his mind. In fact, when he was being tried for his own life in Acts chapter 26 in front of King Agrippa, King Agrippa says, Paul, do you believe these things? He says, yes, and I'm sure you do as well because the facts are written. History is history. You have the facts equally as I do. You know it's true. I had to believe, and he didn't want to believe. And I appreciate that because many of us here today, you don't have to be forced into it. W.H. Auden was a Christian, American poet, and then um, became an atheist for many, many years. And then he turned back to Christ. And these are his words. This is what he said. I believe in Jesus because he fulfills none of my dreams. Isn't that interesting? I believe in Jesus because he fulfills none of my dreams. Think about that a second. Because he is in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I could have made him in my own image. It had to be true. Thus, if a Christian asks, why Jesus, not Socrates or Buddha or Confucius, Confucius or Muhammad, perhaps all he can say is, none of the others arouse all sides of my being to cry, crucify him. It's a profound statement to say, I believe, because Jesus does not honor any of my dreams. Because Jesus is so much bigger than your dreams. And when you come to realize that the resurrected Christ is standing right before you saying, I have a better life. I have something even greater to offer you. Will you accept it? Will you believe? And finally, it's for everyone. This is a beautiful passage where Paul himself says, I am the least of all. He finally appeared to me, and I'm the least of all disciples, all of apostles. 
In fact, this is so amazing. I am so insignificant. I'm so unworthy to be called an apostle apostle because I hunted down believers. I persecuted God's church. I killed people. That's what I did. I killed innocent people. I am so unworthy. I am one born an untimely birth. The way Paul describes himself is he shouldn't have even been born and he shouldn't have survived. He's so insignificant, so frail because of what he had done. And some of us this morning may think that as well. It's not for me. It's for everyone else, but it's not for me. If you only knew what I did. So I got a text from my buddy that I played golf with after I dropped him off. And, and um, been, we've been texting ever since. And it's been a great dialogue to talk about things. And, you know, and, and he just said, brother, he calls me brother. You have poured me a large glass of water. People have been throwing dirt on me my whole life. You have washed me off and given me some life. Thank you. That's what God does. That's what God's grace does. Notice it says, but for the grace of God, Paul becomes a different person. He labors for the faith because of the grace of God of turning even him around. It's not based on performance. We are both sinners and loved at the same time. He not only paid the price, but he also sees you as a jewel, no matter what your background is. It'd be very easy to dismiss any one of us if we truly took a deep look within ourselves. So this morning, a fresh start awaits you, but you got to believe it, and you got to believe that it's for everyone. If you can think of any one person that doesn't deserve the resurrected Jesus Christ in their life, then you don't understand grace. Because grace is the extension of Jesus reaching out his arms and dying for us. And then when he rose again, he brought a fresh start for our lives. That's what it means when he was resurrected. Fresh start begins now. And maybe you want that this morning. I'm going to invite Luke up. And as Luke comes up and our worship team, Let me pray for us. And maybe this is your first time to just kind of connect with God, maybe in a long time. But um, let's, let's pray together. And maybe this is an opportunity for you just to say, Lord, I want a fresh start. So, Father, we come before you. Jesus, you stand resurrected before us. And we want a fresh start. We believe what we see is true. And you offer a new life. And it's for me. So I open my hands to you and I say, yes, Jesus. I, I'm, I'm open. I'm totally open. I'm willing. You've died for me. You were resurrected so I might have new life. And the life that I'm now living is a futile life when I really honestly look at it. It's something far less than what you have for me. My dreams are far too small. And Jesus, you want to change all that. So would you, would you invade my life? I give you permission. I, I, I pick up the phone. And I'm calling you. Come get me. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for a new heart and a new body and a new life.
Come into my life right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's some things that you can do as we close this morning, and it will be a, it's going to be an exciting close. And um, Luke, you're going to point out a few of those things that, are going to, that you can, as uh, an audience, can participate in. So what, let us know. Thanks, Todd. First, he is risen. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Todd, thank you so much for um, bringing the word. How beautiful. I love, Todd, just your conviction and passion about the message. Uh, and I love even as the Holy Spirit touched the speaker in the back that started beatboxing, Todd just <laughs> continued through with such vigor. What a great message that Jesus Christ is risen. This is a proclamation. It's a proclamation that requires a response that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. You cannot leave this proclamation without some sort of response. You cannot. As Todd was saying, you cannot leave without responding. So there's three responses that we see available to us. The first is maybe you still have some doubts. Some of the disciples, when they first heard this message, still had some doubts. It is a bold proclamation that Jesus Christ, the living God, rose from the dead. And if you still have some of those questions about life, the biggest questions about life, we have something available for you. It's called Alpha. And it's starting uh, on the 25th at Hennessy's. And this is just a place for us to gather and really talk about some of life's biggest questions. So if you still have some of those questions, we encourage you to go to Alpha, go to Hennessy's, check it out, ask these questions. It's not a place to push the Christian agenda on you, but for you to open up and ask those questions and talk about that. So that's the first response. The second is maybe you have a story kind of like Dominic's. Maybe you feel like, man, I, I need to do some business between me and God. I know I've been hurt in the past, but I feel the pull of the Holy Spirit leading me to be more involved in the church, to commit myself to a Christian community, to watch the change that God wants to take place in my heart. Maybe you feel God leading you to be more involved. Maybe this is the next step for you. In response to this new life that is being offered, you want to more fully step into that life. That's the second option for you. And the third option is, maybe you said yes. You said, yes, Jesus, I want this new life. I want what you've accomplished in the resurrection to be true for me, and I want to start living into that. And the next step for you would be to get baptized. Baptism is our response of saying that our life is now united with Christ. And Christ's death and resurrection becomes ours. You be baptized. And you get to enjoy the new life in Christ and be part of the body of Jesus. So if you are interested in being baptized today, uh, I'm going to be over here by the cross with Bill. And you can come uh, talk to us as worship is going on. And we're going to have a conversation with you. Uh, and then after the two songs, we're going to head down uh, to the water. So if you said yes and you want to make this lifelong commitment to Jesus, we invite you to come and be baptized. Come find Bill and I over by the cross. This bold proclamation requires a response. 
and it's beautiful, and it's life-changing, and it will be the best decision that you have ever made in your life. So now all of us are going to stand, and we're going to respond in worship as Rachel and the team lead us. to respond in worship. So I encourage you to look at the lyrics if you don't know the song and try to sing along and worship him and respond with our voices and our hearts, praising our Jesus who is our living hope. Amen. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished, the end is written, oh Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy, what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever, and Jesus Christ, my living hope. And we sing hallelujah. And hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. Lost its grip on me 
you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope sing hallelujah and hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope jesus christ jesus christ my living hope oh god you are my living hope amen let's sing this one chorus of Christ be magnified in me we ask our God as we start this new life with him to be magnified in us amen and oh Christ be magnified let his praise arise Christ be magnified time Christ no Christ be magnified let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me no Christ be magnified the altar of my life Christ be magnified give our God a hand of praise saying thank you Lord thank you for this morning so we get to leave this place thankful that our God has given his life for him and we invite you to come back next weekend and do life with us it's not church we don't just do church on Sundays we live life together in his name so we invite you back So we uh, invite you all to join us uh, as we're going to go down to the water and have uh, a couple of baptisms. Uh, just make sure that there's a clear line of sight for the lifeguards, so just kind of stagger yourselves like this. Uh, but we invite you to come uh, celebrate and join us as people have decided to put uh, their life in Christ. So come down to the water and join us. <laughs> 